right, everyone, welcome back to The Working Collective. This is episode eight of season one. I'm your host, Andrew Mullins, and I'm here with my great, great friend, Jared Lowe. Uh, thanks for being here, Jared. Andrew, I am thrilled to be here. Awesome. And uh, just as a reminder uh, for our listeners here, The Working Collective it showcases different vocations and experiences that create unique conversations around what we do and why. And since no two people have the same experience, each interview takes on the personality of our guests and their story. So this is the Working Collective. So I'm here with Jared. Uh, and Jared, how do you and I know each other? Man, so Andrew and I went to school together at the University of Mobile, but I feel like we had a much closer bond because we were, uh, I guess I would call us colleague resident assistants in the same dorm. Uh, so we got to put up with a lot of the same antics, um, had to go to the same trainings, and just generally were at the same place at the same time a lot, yep. uh, which brought Andrew and I really close together. A um, couple of trips we went on together, one I can think of in particular to a conference in Atlanta that was a terrific bonding experience. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. We just had a lot of good times. Yeah. Um, a lot of our lives in college seemed to intersect. Um, our birthdays are 19 days away. Just, yep. Just a really good. You were in my wedding. I mean, that's right. Oh yeah. So I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. I think <laughs> so other than literally getting married, one of the highlights of my wedding, um, was the garter toss. Oh in, yeah. In which I walked the garter <laughs> and placed it in Andrew's hands. Oh, so I, I like to think to some extent I'm responsible for his marriage, but I think <laughs> that might be pushing it just a little too far. Oh man. We'll, we'll let the people decide what they want. But yeah, that was a, that was a great wedding too. Y'all's wedding was so fun. That was yours. I, I danced I, my butt uh, off. <laughs> I actually use um, a, a picture from your wedding as my headshot on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> That's felt great. So dapper. That's great. Cool. Well, thank you again, though, Jared, for being on here. I know we've had some scheduling and trying to get everybody straight with life, trying to get life. you on here. Um, but just tell us more about who you are, where you're from, what you do, because uh, this is with the Working Collective, and just kind of your basic biography. Tell us about Jared. Yeah, man. So I guess we'll start with where I'm from, because that's one of the more interesting questions. Um, like a lot of your guests so far, I would find it hard to claim any one place in particular. <laughs> so I was born in Pensacola, Florida, Panhandle. And when I was eight years old, my family moved to Gastonia, North Carolina, just to the west of Charlotte by about 40 minutes or so. Um, and even as an angry eight-year-old that was sad I was leaving the only place I knew, I vowed that I would come back to the Gulf Coast, which obviously at eight, you have yeah. zero control over that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but North Carolina was great. That's where I grew up. That's where I went to high school, um, really formative years. But when it came time to find a college to go to, I put my feelers out everywhere. Um, I majored in sociology, which is not exactly a scholarship attracting field <laughs> like uh, STEM. Yeah. Uh, not exactly as appealing as, say, chemistry or biology to very large universities with very large budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just so happened that a small school in Mobile, Alabama had the most scholarship money available for me. And I was like, Hey, this is my opportunity to get back to the Gulf coast. Uh, I had some family that lived there. And so it just worked out really well. 
Um, spent four years in Mobile in college, spent a couple years after that working. And so now uh, Kirsten, my wife and I are in Pensacola, Florida, where I currently work in local government. So I work for San Rosa County, Florida. My title is grants coordinator, but I don't know that that accurately encapsulates everything that goes on yeah. in my day to day. <laughs> I like to tell people because when you say a, a grants coordinator, they hear grant writer and writing grants is a very small portion of what I do. Gotcha. Um, so I mainly do a lot of compliance type activities, which is fancy talk for paperwork and conversations. <laughs> it sounds boring, but it's actually super interesting. So I work on projects that range from uh, building new parks to um, diversifying the local economy, which is super buzzwordy, but is very unique in and of itself. It goes on your LinkedIn page really well. Absolutely. It's a great <laughs> LinkedIn. Um, right now I'm working on some uh, COVID response projects. I deal with FEMA a lot. We're still working on some FEMA projects from the hurricane we had back in September of 2020. So I kind of feel like I'm a jack of all trades, but uh, just, you know, in summation, I work in local government and yeah. it has been a blast so far. There's just so much going on. That's good. I'm glad that you, you really find enjoyment in it. Cause I know government work gets like this very like vanilla, everything is gray and colorless and lifeless and everything that walks that into a local government building dies and never it, comes out. You <laughs> can get that way. I've been fortunate that the organization I work for, our administrator and our leadership is uh, very creative and they encourage us to think outside of the box. And it really does not fit the stigma that is applied so often to government, especially yeah. local government. So it's, it's been a real honor to be there. Hmm. That's really awesome. So you kind of talked about what a normal day looks like. So what would you say in the sphere of local government and grants and coordinating all that in your local government, what does success look like? Does it look like you pulling in, you know, huge amounts of money? Does it look like, you know, productivity wise of getting a lot of projects done? Talk about what success looks like. Yeah. So that's probably the one question I have thought about the most leading up to this conversation. <laughs> and it's hard to define. So it really depends on who you ask and it, can be a politically loaded question. Some people think that success in government is reducing how involved government is in your life. Some people think that success in government is extending the ability of government to intervene in your life. And those are you know, two extreme ends of the spectrum, but that's a reality for the way that some people think. Right. Uh, but for those of us that do the nitty gritty, um, less political work, Right. I think we really would define success as, and it can be number of projects. It can be the amount of money that you, you pull down or you bring in to save local taxpayer money. But I think really success is defined as day-to-day -day basis. Are you doing something to enrich the lives of the people that you represent? Yeah. Um, are the citizens in your jurisdiction um, going to be better off because of the work you did today? Uh, I think, I have felt fortunate in our organization that I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. Um, the, the, I guess I would call it the parks and recreation stigma about not doing anything. And, you know, everyone's a Ron Swanson is 
really not true where I am. Maybe it is somewhere in, you know, mythical Pawnee. Well, I guess Pawnee is a real city in Indiana. But um, it, anyways, in all seriousness, uh, I think success just looks like every day doing what's going to make the lives of the people better. Yeah. Keeping that's the hand to the cloud. Day. Yeah. 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 And, and some days that looks like um, submitting reports because, you know, those reports are ultimately going to save money locally. Right. Uh, some days it looks like going to a public meeting to explain what you can do to help mitigate flooding problems. It, it is so different depending on the day, depending on the project, but that's the, the common thread that runs through everyday success. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, that's, I feel like that's a great way to approach any job, but I think especially in a, in a government job where it is, like you said, the politics of that can become a black hole for people, that mm-hmm. it just draws people in. And then that's the whole, you know, that's all that people circle around and talk about. And it's like, hey, there's actually some either really cool things or really effective things getting done here. And it's making a real impact. Um, Absolutely. So with that, how would you describe your work-life balance? What does that look like? It's better than it used to be. So mm-hmm. I think I'm getting more comfortable in my role and what I'm doing. Um, when I leave work around 4.30, I can turn it off and go do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, government and politics and however you want to, you know, whatever box you want to put that in is a part of so many facets of our life. So it is really hard for me to entirely separate work from my home life mm-hmm. because you always have a phone on hand that can <laughs> give you the latest news locally and right. nationally. Um, and a lot of the projects I'm working on now are kind of hot button issues like COVID. Um, so you're always thinking about it to some extent. Um, but I really, the longer I've been in the working world, I've just gotten better at not letting it bog me down. Right. Uh, like in particular, I used to be really bad about checking emails. Like if I woke up in the middle of the night, check them. Oh God, that's a horrible thing to do. <laughs> yep. So I don't do that, right? I have boundaries, things that I won't do to save my mental health. But at the same time, because I enjoy my job, I'm still always thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But you're thinking about it in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. And I I haven't always been that way. Yeah. Um, Part of that's just a product of being somewhere that's good, that I really enjoy, that enriches my life from a vocational perspective. But also it's just learning the more you're in the working world about how to differentiate between um, healthy <laughs> considerations yeah. of work and not healthy obsession with work. Right. And I've myself, I've been in those different jobs where you had to have your email on you. You had to be kind of on call for things and that can stress you out because <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it just has that kind of undertone of anxiety. And I can tell you, it's not meant for everybody. Um and so the job I have now, though, does not require me to have those things. And I just show up, do my job, I go home. And I, I, have, found, I have found that that to be much more simple for me. But I also know there's some people that would love to be the opposite and want to live and breathe and all through that. Um, so I think it's different for every person, but I'm really glad to see that you're able to healthily balance, but also have a good relationship with work where you can actually think about it in a positive way rather than maybe an anxious or a stressed way. Obviously that doesn't mean that your job isn't stressful or anxious sometimes. Oh yeah. And every day is not like that. There are days right. where it's an unhealthy relationship. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's ups and downs. Right. 
overall, I, that's really been a challenge of mine the last few years is to have a better relationship with work. And I'm glad to see that it's happening. I know it won't always be that way. Yeah. I'm sure I'll circle back around to you know, go back <laughs> to the valley at some point. But uh, right now, I think that's probably my favorite part of my work is that I can still think about it, but it's in a healthy way that doesn't stress me out. Yeah. So talk to me more about goals. Do you set goals for yourself in your work, in your life, uh, you know, in your personal life or things like that? What does that process look like? Do you even set goals? Um, talk more about that. I think I set more lofty and I guess you would call them you know, the 30,000 foot type goals. Yeah. I don't get really granular into, all right, well, I need to save X dollars a month or you know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think about projects, big picture stuff. So if we start with work at work, I really break down the quarters of the year. So I know, hey, next quarter, these are the things that need to happen because within the next year, I want A, B, and C projects to be done. Um, and so then on a weekly basis, I can think about, okay, what do I need to do this week to advance these projects so I can get them where they need to be by the time I want them to be finished? Um, so I guess it is, it's probably hard to differentiate between benchmarks and goal setting. Hmm. But I think I goal set without benchmarking. Okay. Yeah. It, because every day something new is going to pop up. So some days you can do a little more than other days. Um, like right now I have a project I'm working on that it involves a lot of writing. Um, it's stressful if I think, okay, well, today I have to do one page. I have to do one page. It's a lot better if I think, all right, well, by next week I need to have it finished. So Today, if I devote 15 minutes, whatever that 15 minutes looks like, it'll keep me on the right track. So yeah. I'm not good about writing goals down, but I am good about remembering projects and yeah. big picture stuff. Deadlines and stuff Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I do write deadlines down. I keep a, a spreadsheet. Um, so I have like a personal spreadsheet and a work spreadsheet. And it has, de well, I guess personal deadlines are like bills or <laughs> doctor's appointments, the, yeah. the not as fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so tell me that just kind of piqued my interest because you have touched on it a little bit. Tell me more about the kind of the your work uh, structure for your, your leadership and for your team and how, how does that how do you interact uh, with your coworkers and with your boss and what, what does that look like? Are you on a team of other grant coordinators? Are you uh, are you on your own island and you kind of talk to the mothership, so to speak, or? No, it's a, it's a really cool structure. Um, we are actually under the Office of Management and Budget. So I, we have a, I have a direct supervisor that uh, their title is Grants Director. Okay. And there are three of us that work full-time in the department. We actually have some temporary help right now. Uh, but in, in a typical time frame, there's three of us. Um, so I have a, a direct supervisor, but man, it's just such a collaborative um, environment mm -hmm. I, I some days I don't feel like I have a supervisor and what I mean by that is I don't have anyone putting their thumb down on me yeah. or looking over my shoulder um, everyone is just really encouraging um, you know healthy feedback uh, healthy criticism um, and then 
like, yeah, there's a hierarchy, but I can go to top leadership whenever I need, when it's appropriate. Um, I can go talk to our county commissioners when I need to, um, to try to, you know, get feedback on projects mm-hmm. before it's really out in the public. So like with any government, there is a pretty strong hierarchy, right. but the working environment is so healthy where I am that I have a lot of latitude to just go talk to who I need to talk to. Yeah. And that has been tremendous because I've been in places where it's not at all like that. <laughs> you get scolded if you go and talk to the wrong person. Right. Um, so it, it's interesting. It, I think the gist of a lot of what I'm saying is that my experience has been quite the opposite of the stigma that is often applied to government. Yeah. And yeah. so one of the things I would want listeners to get out of this is that, you know, government can still be a force for good. Um, mm. it, it doesn't have to be, you know, red government or blue government, right. you know, this polarized nonsense. Uh, it can still do a lot of good stuff for us, but it's only a working mechanism when people interact with the government. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me more, kind of zooming back into you personally, uh, what are some core motivations or key driving factors for you? What makes you get up in the morning to go coordinate grants, yeah. et cetera? So, yeah, yeah. So some motivations are obligations. Uh, for example, I like to eat. <laughs> so getting up and going to work is a product of I've got bills to pay and yeah. I like like uh, air conditioning and Cheetos. Um, <laughs> but there's also intrinsic motivation. So I, I think on a deeper level that all of us have a God-given um, desire to work, to put our hands on something. Some people will say that they don't or they will think otherwise, but I, I truly believe that at the root, God made us to work. And he made us to put our hands on the plow and to make a positive impact. Mm-hmm. And that looks different at different phases of life for everybody. Right. Uh, you know, like on a Saturday, so my, my wife and I are foster parents and we have two toddlers that have been with us for one of them almost a year now. So like on a Saturday, <laughs> getting up and working looks like just trying to keep two kids alive and <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, my core motivation is just that it is the right thing to do to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And building on that, man, I've, I've got people to take care of uh, and this is how I do that. And that's my responsibility. So that's what I'm going to do. Plus I also just really enjoy working. I enjoy feeling like I'm making a difference, whether that's a project I'm working on at home or a project I'm working on at work um, just being involved. I think that's enough motivation for me. I, I, I want to be involved in something. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you're, you're seeing the bigger picture on a lot of stuff and you're not just this, you know, you're not in this dark corner doing the mindless paperwork, but that, but really your paperwork does make a difference and it has a huge impact on your community. And that's kind of what my next section was. And you have already talked about how you're, you're working on FEMA stuff and you're working on different kinds of things to actually help real people in real life. And yeah, it can be slow. It can be a process, but I, I also know you well enough that you're one of the people that does things with excellence and you do things uh, 
done right the first time so that you don't have to do the extra paperwork on the back end, <laughs> or at least you're not the reason why you have to do that extra paperwork. You're, That's you're right. Focused Sometimes to, it's unavoidable. <laughs> right. Your, your, or your motivation is really, you know, provision and for protection and uh, your family, your faith, obviously, but ultimately you have that lasting impact on your community as a kind of a local sphere. But obviously when you have an impact on local, that affects families and, and marriages and, fa- and, and homes and neighborhoods and, uh, and ultimately has a ripple effect all the way out, like you've talked about. So uh, that's really cool. Um, so how would you say uh, that work influences your life? How do you, th- how do you think about that? Talk about that some more. Just like you said, I get to see the direct impact of the work that I do. It really provides a lot of context for my day-to-day. So yeah, I, I spent like two hours this morning doing six different reports that had to go to a variety of state agencies. Um, and so, yeah, that's super tedious, right? Right. And I know that I have to submit those so we can have the money to do some of the projects that we do. So on a Saturday, when my wife and I take the kids to a park that I did some paperwork on, all of a sudden you have context for, okay, well, the 40 minutes you spent writing about what we did here was super boring, but it was necessary. Yeah. And it was necessary to give people something that enriches their lives. And then right. I, I get to go from that. So I think with any job, creating context for what you do really sheds light on why you do it and is a motivating factor in and of itself. Hmm. That's really good, man. Should end the podcast right there, but uh, <laughs> that's good. Um, must go. <laughs> yeah, we must go on though. Uh, so tell me, we're going to zoom out again uh, to more uh, a bigger sphere here. Um, who would you say is one person or maybe multiple people that have had the greatest impact on you and your definition of how you've, you approach your vocation, everyday life and relationships. Okay, so the person is going to sound cliche, but the reason will probably be a little unique. <laughs> I would definitely have to say my father. Okay. And I say cliche because I think 80% of your uh, guests on the show have said that so far. Hey, that. but everybody has a completely different story. That's part of the bio. Everybody has their everybody has their influences and, and impact. And- it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely my dad. Yeah. Um, and that's not to discount anyone else, mom included, who's made an impact on <laughs> That I'd be remiss if I, you know, didn't say that kind of thing. Right. But uh, <laughs> so the reason my father has, I have seen so much progress in him as a person, particularly in the last decade or so. Man, I will sit down with him and have a conversation about perhaps something controversial, maybe even something super mundane, and he'll just tell me, you know, hey, the way I used to think about that was wrong or I've changed my mind. Or if we had a conversation that was harder than it should have been, and maybe he's the one that made it that way, he'll call me back and apologize. Hmm. And that is something that I value so much because I think it's lacking in our society, especially among men, right? Everybody Hmm. wants to be Mr. Macho. I'm never wrong. I'm always right. My way or the highway. But that's no way to live and that's no way to work. And 
you can't build relationships if that's your MO. Right. I think, yeah, empathy. And there's maturity yeah, and, there. There's a, there's a humility there. You know, that I can think back to like, you know, being a kid and you're in elementary school and they ask you, who's your hero? And you say, it's my dad. Well, the irony is that I would call him my hero because he's not Superman, because mm-hmm. he acts like a human. Yeah. And he's able to say, look, I was wrong, or I changed my mind, or hey, the way I thought about that was just really negative, and I, I'd like to be positive now. So I, man, I just can't say enough how impactful I think that is, and how impactful I think that has been for me. And if I can live every day in a way that's humble enough to say, hey, I was wrong, or hey, I'm sorry, I think that's just going to make life a lot better. And it's, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the Christ-like thing to do, just to recognize that I'm not perfect, and I don't always know what I'm doing. And it ultimately shows that you value other people more than yourself. And right. that's the way I want to live my life. Hmm. That's good. Is there, a, is there a defining moment in your life that you think encapsulates your worldview, uh, your view of legacy or your goals? I can't think of a particular moment, but I can think of defining seasons. Mm-hmm. So moving 10 hours away from my family to go to college was definitely a defining season. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had, I've always been someone who was super close to family and that's a positive thing. Like, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think I really learned to rely on, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I learned to rely on the people around me to inform the way that I view the world, which is mm-hmm. certainly not always a bad thing. Like your, your upbringing instills a lot of positive things into you. Um, but being able to get out of the current bubble I was living in and meet new people, mm-hmm. be on my own, and be responsible for myself. And I, th- I think that's probably the experience a lot of people have in college. So I would I, say I would say that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't think that I'm alone in that respect. Um, but looking back, I think that's just been so impactful for me yeah. to have a time where you, you know, you really just separate and say, okay, I got to go figure some stuff out on my own. Um, I've had a good support system. I've never really had to do a whole lot of stuff on my own, but here I am now. It's it's my time, and right. uh, not in a proud, capable kind of way, but in a humble. Oh my gosh, what a <laughs> kind of way! Yeah, yeah. So that, I think that's just part of that process of learning to be empathetic and humble and asking for help when you need it. And hmm. I'm sure there'll be another season that will be more impactful than that one but that was really just the last one that completely changed my life and that's yeah that started 2013 was when I first went to college that's been a while now and it's just amazing that yeah so quickly I know it's crazy like I started in 2012 and that's almost nine years ago and I stepped on the foot I you know I stepped foot on the campus of UM going Oh, what have I done? <laughs> but three days later, well, I was fine. Three days later, I was fine. But those first couple of days, it was like, okay, it got real. And then when I moved to Kentucky, same thing happened for like the first couple of weeks. I went, what am I doing? 
and then but i i think i think god uses those seasons like you're saying to really remind you of what what your true purpose is but also that you can't you're not self-sufficient that you need help you do need people in your life to help kind of pick you up or hey you might maybe you need to get knocked down a few pegs because you're not as awesome as you think you are right Um, and so i think uh, that's what you've done for me. That's why I wanted you by my side on my wedding day. That's why you're one of my best friends because God has used you in a way for my life that has really allowed me to think critically, but also worshipfully uh, consider where my life is and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, so I, I really appreciate you for that and the impact that you've had on the many seasons in my life since we've met each other. So and there will be born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you've already talked about kind of what legacy you hope to leave, and uh, and feel free to talk more about that. What what kind of legacy do you hope to leave, and how do you how do you work actively uh, towards leaving that legacy? Yeah, I think you build legacy with mindset, with um, the principles that you you have for your life. So uh, some people think about legacy and it's something very tangible. Oh, I wrote 40 books or I, you know, have these sculptures that are in a museum in some exotic place. You know, they think about tangible stuff, but I, you know, so so there's a, there's a quote from the office where Michael Scott is talking about um, his mother telling him that, uh, you know, God loves average people because he made so many of them. (laughs) And that resonates with me because we're not all going to write 40 books or have sculptures in the Louvre. That's just not going to happen. But what we are all going to do is encounter other people. Right. And we're going to have opportunities to live a principled life. And if the principles by which you interact with others are those that are going to enrich the lives of other people, if you're going to build people up, if you are going to very humbly, um, you know, ask for help when you need it, like those are the things that leave a legacy. Yeah. I I can think of some really bad legacies, some people I've met and I think, wow, I would like to never meet that person again. (laughs) But but that's few and far between. The people I remember most are the people that I think, wow, that was the kindest person I have ever met. Or that person was so generous or so humble. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that build a legacy. And so the legacy I want to leave is not anything tangible, but I want to be a hard worker. I want my family to know that I gave it all I had, even on mundane stuff. like. Mm-hmm. I took the trash out when I didn't feel like it because those are just the things you do, right? Right. I was kind to somebody when I didn't want to be because that's just the way you treat people. Like those kind of moments are the bricks that build a really big legacy. Yeah. And I think going along with your brick analogy, I think the glue to all that is what? It's your recognition of people being created in the image of God. And when you have that backdrop, for how you approach your family, how you approach your role at work, how you approach the messy situations of life, of, 
of where it, it does get gray, it does get muddy, I, you can zoom out from a, a person perspective and realize these people are creating the image of God, just like me. How can I treat them not only with empathy, but hey, with a loving hand or or with a with a uh, a, a way that points them in the right direction? Uh, because that to me is the source of that is it's that's the underpinning to all of those interactions is that if if i recognize that i'm not god and these people are created in the image of god there is an intrinsic and and uh you know there's an ultimate value here with this person that i did not add to um and i can't take away because it's not defined by me and so that's how you can approach public service that's how you can approach being a teacher that's how you can approach doing whatever you do um and that's really good that makes, me wanna, a, that makes me want to write one of my 40 books, right? <laughs> yeah, can, can we just take a moment and pass the offering plate? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, cool. Uh, so looking ahead, Jared, uh, what are you working on right now since this is the Working Collective? Uh, and we, I, I believe that work is, a, is active. It's never not active, but it, it, as you've already said, it takes on different forms and things like that. So what are you working on right now? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be work-related. Phew, I am working on a master's degree. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so I am going to the University of West Florida for a master's in public administration. Okay. I am in my second semester, which has been really interesting. Like, uh, with all the other stuff going on in the world, we had a hurricane here like six months ago. We have toddlers in our house for the first time. (laughs) fostering so I chose to like go back to school while all the other stuff was happening which has been really interesting for time management yeah um but man it feels really good to be back into book learning yeah I I recognize that that might sound kind of weird but it's just good I really enjoy it yeah Um, and that that's really how I'm spending a lot of my evenings now I have a 12-page paper due next week and a 10-page one due Sunday and I had a six-page one due last week and so that's just kind of my life now. Yep I remember it well. <clears throat> but it's exciting so so um, in between all that stuff there's a few little you know household projects I'm working on. I changed out the bathroom vanity a few weeks ago. Wow. At first I, I hate plumbing. I could never be a plumber. That was terrible. <laughs> Like the woodworking, like the removing the old one and installing the new one, that was cool. But what I thought was going to be simple, hooking the water up from the wall to the sink, that was miserable. I wanted to draw. I I could not be a plumber. So the next project is uh, a few other small bathroom updates. Yeah. Light and hanging a mirror. And I can definitely do both of those. Right. But other than that, call the plumber. Yeah, other than that, call the plumber. I think I took four trips to Home Depot in one day, and that was kind of a low point for me. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Uh, Last question. If you could do any job from 200 years ago, what would you do and why? So, my friend, I have thought long and hard about (laughs) this one. I would be a butcher. A butcher? Tell me me why. One of my favorite hobbies right now, when I do have the time, is smoking meats. Okay. I like to I like to tell people at first yeah. that I have a smoking problem. <laughs> Ribs, chicken, you name it. Yeah. 
So I'd definitely be a butcher because I think it's kind of an art to know how to cut an animal in a way it's going to produce different different tasting meat. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like a cow. There are so many cuts of beef. Right. Like an art to know that, okay, well, this muscle right here, I need to separate it and I got to I remove it from this tendon and that's going to be, you know, ribeye over here and then right this is where i'm gonna you know i might grind this up and get ground beef because it's not really good for anything else <laughs> that's cool and so thinking about um there's probably a modern spin on that now yeah <laughs> probably a lot easier than it, than it used to be but i just think that's kind of cool to consider that even 200 years ago somebody had a big old butcher block and a knife <laughs> and uh they were smoking meat somewhere. Yeah, so you got to eat somewhere. So eat. You didn't get here if somebody didn't eat. So uh, that's really cool. Well, hey, Jerry, thank you so much for being on today. I've learned a lot um, in your job because there was some stuff I knew that you did, but I didn't realize it was all this on top of that. So I really thank you for being open to share and kind of talk about kind of what uh, goes behind uh, closed doors and kind of what you're involved in, but also your heart for uh, your city, your community, and your family. So thank you for thank you for sharing on that. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Well, cool. Well, thank uh, thank you guys for listening. This is a reminder: the Working Collective podcast showcases different vocations and experiences that create unique conversations around what we do and why. So, since no two people have the same story or experience, each interview takes on the personality of, of our guest and their story. So, this is the Working Collective, and so. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.